0: Welcome to the Health Zone show with Mihal O'Mahuna, where with each episode I explore interesting health and well-being topics with a thought-provoking guest. These topics can range from nutrition, relationships, spirituality, finance, creativity, mental health and much, much more, so that you can live a healthier, happier and more authentic life. Guests on the show vary from health experts Spiritual teachers, finance wizards, sports legends, to ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Find us on Facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest under The Health Zone. Check out our new updated website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com, and at the moment, you can receive a free copy of my latest ebook 7 ways to boost your overall well-being when you join the health zone today i'm talking with best-selling author and leading expert on eastern philosophy and medicine daniel reed hello daniel hello how are you very good daniel So tell me, Daniel, what inspired you to write the book, The Tao of Health, Sex and Longevity?
1: I was a struggling writer doing travel work and all that. And uh, my favorite sport then was racquetball. I was living in Taiwan and I got a, a, a spinal injury, which normally would have kept me unable to walk for at least two weeks and somebody that very day took me to a Chinese doctor who did some work on my back, put on an herbal poultice, did some manipulation and uh, the next morning I didn't even realize I'd gotten an injury. I was just fine. So I was really impressed and interested and I went to that doctor and sort of apprenticed myself to him for about six months just to see what it's all about. And uh, anyway, that led to my interest in traditional Chinese medicine. And later, um, the Tao of Health, sex and longevity came out of it.
0: Daniel, I'm curious in regard to what you do on a daily basis to keep
1: yourself healthy. Yeah. Okay. Um, of course, the most important thing, basically on the bottom line, I think, because it's so basic is diet. You... You need to watch what you eat and what you don't eat. Um, it's all these fad diets are, are basically useless. It's basically finding what sort of foods suits you, and then making sure you get the best quality, and keeping away from uh, factory foods and GMO and all that stuff. That's sort of obvious. Uh, beyond that, uh, I do uh, some what's called qigong every morning which is uh, very simple Chinese exercises, very soft and they they focus on loosening up and opening up your body rather than Western style exercise like in a gymnasium where everything gets compacted and compressed and tight. It's exactly the opposite, so keeping the body open to keep the blood and energy flowing um, and uh, besides that, I do, uh, I take uh, certain, a few supplements and herbs and things like that. Uh, and that's it. It's quite easy, actually. And
0: what is meant by the way of the Tao, Daniel?
1: Actually, the word Tao, it's pronounced with a D, actually, is, uh, it means in Chinese, it means way or path. So what they're talking about is when they say the Tao, they're saying the way. Uh, they're not talking about God or Buddha or heaven and all that. They're talking about, they use the word way. And then you say, well, what way? And the pattern they use uh, as a sort of template for all the health programs and suggestions and healing that they do is you, you, you use nature as your template. So you, it's a basically a... An, astute observation of how nature works, how animals live, how they eat, uh, the birds and the bees, as it were, and uh, weather patterns, uh, cosmic uh, phenomenon, anything that appears in nature, they say, holds a key, a secret, if you know how to interpret it, that can be applied to your own self-health care. So basically, Dao, which just means way, they're talking about nature's way.
0: And I read in your book, Daniel, that the way that can be spoken is not the real way. The name that can be named is not the real name. What does this mean?
1: Well, what it means is you you always keep tracing things back. Uh, You know, well, what is the source? So, for example everything in nature. Why is this earth here? Why are the trees green? Why is the sky blue? Why do birds make their nests in in the summer and and gather nuts in the winter and that sort of thing? Uh, This is the way of nature, but then what produced that? And uh, basically, in the the Taoist tradition, again, they don't talk about gods and deities, any sort of the sort of religious things we talk about now. They go back and they say, well, the way came from uh, the source. The source of what? The source of all creation. So, when they're saying is, where did the way come from? Uh, then they say, we're talking about, well, the real way, the, the original source is beyond words. It's not something that can be described. It can be experienced or intuited, but uh, it's like in other religions, if you were to say, what is God, God, who is God, or Buddha, or something, when you finally keep taking it back further towards the source, you finally get to the point where it's no longer conceivable in terms of, of language, which is very limited. And so that's where things like meditation and insight and and stuff like that comes in. You either get it or you don't get it. And so when they're talking about the name that can be named is not the real name, we're just saying we're using the word Tao as a sort of a nickname for some phenomena in nature that we can apply to ourselves. But if you want to go back and say, well, what is this really? Where does that come from? You're just talking about ideas and concepts that are beyond description and language.
0: The Tao gave birth to one thing, Daniel, and the one thing gave birth to two things, and yep. then three things, now, and then to the 10,000 you know, things.
1: Let me take an example that from Western science, because I always, in my writing, try to explain things to Western readers, who are my readers, in terms of words and concepts they can understand. So t- look at the Big Bang. The theory of the creation of the universe—they uh, say there was nothing, emptiness. This is very Buddhist and Taoist. And then suddenly there was a, a pinpoint explosion, which spread out and produced uh, all the stars. There was first there was dust, and then the molecules came together, and then you had planets and stuff. So, what that quote you just mentioned is saying that the the Tao came from the source, which came from nothing, sort of a vast emptiness, and it produced a flash of light, and then from that came, came uh, matter and energy and uh, the various galaxies and then solar systems and planets, and then on the planets, all sorts of life. And more and more complexity, so starting from this one thing which we cannot name and which, which we cannot describe, the source of the doubt, uh, once it started to manifest, if you, for example, look at it as the Big Bang, it just continues and continues and continues in this creative process of increasing complexity.
0: When I was reading the book, Daniel, there was one thing that struck me was that it said that when your work is done, then withdraw, and that's the way of heaven. How is that connected to the way Wu?
1: This is uh, there's a term in in the book you'll find in Dao. It's called Wu Wei. Wu Wei. W U W E I. Wu Wei. Wu Wei means without effort, without deliberate action, and. What they're saying there is that when you need to do something, whether it is to go out and do your work or to take care of yourself or to heal yourself or whatever, or just in personal relations, do what's necessary to get it done and don't do any more. In other words, minimal interference with the patterns of nature. You sort of go uh, program in what you want to do and, then sort of, and rely on nature's own natural energies and forces to get what you want done, done. And once it, that's done, withdraw. That simply means don't keep, you know, if it doesn't need to be fixed, don't fix it. it this is what that statement means, is to do it, the minimal amount that's necessary to get what you need done, and then not to interfere any further, let nature take its course.
0: It reminds me of something there I read recently, everything gets accomplished by doing nothing. Does that tie in with this, Daniel?
1: That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Because what in the Western world we seem to see, see ourselves as human beings as separate from nature. So well, the idea is go out and conquer nature. You know, in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries, this is the Western way. We're going to conquer nature. We're going to dam the rivers and make electricity. We're going to fly planes in the air, uh, and we're going to. We're going to conquer disease with powerful drugs and all these things. But the idea in in Taoism is to work with nature and natural uh, energies and elements as they are. So what you've got to do is learn how they work. So there you have yin and yang and the five elements. And all of this is based on observation on how nature works when left alone. And the point being that the human body and the human energy system uh, and human beings are an intricate part of nature. We're, we're just like a, another kind of a tree in the, in the forest or flower in the garden or a different bird in, in the air. Humans are also part of nature. So if we just allow nature to take its course, we'll, we'll be basically all right. And when we do have to do something, like change our diets or take up an exercise program or heal a disease, the idea is to observe those principles and energies and elements in nature that would apply to your situation. And so to creatively use natural phenomena to fix yourself, not interfere in those phenomena, but to to know which ones you need to apply and to see yourself not as separate from all those forces, but as an integral part of it. So it's really a matter of rebalancing and reharmonizing yourself with your, your environment and uh, the natural forces that, that uh, control everything. Instead of trying to conquer nature, the idea is to utilize nature in a way that can, can heal you and keep you healthy.
0: Daniel, do you think the way we're living our lives today in the world, do you think we're moving away or moving towards this idea?
1: Well, it's happening. (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I think we are moving towards the idea walking backwards. Uh, What I mean by that is the world uh, technology and and politics and what warfare and all the things that are going on are going very much in the opposite direction. Of the Tao, they're going against the Tao, and I'm talking about uh, industry and and air pollution and, and pharmaceutical drugs and you know high tech warfare. All these things are not in accord with nature. They're destructive to nature, so we are going against it. But at precisely. Because of that, uh, yeah, there's a principle that said for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so the human species on the planet is pushing it, itself uh, so, so far against natural, the natural way, the Tao, that it's, it's causing a reaction. Nature is striking back. So a good example is climate change. A good example is the uh, the pollutants in our atmosphere, in our water, and food, and air that are causing cancer and and all sorts of health problems. And people, as a result, we're, we're starting to wake up a lot. There are segments of society in almost every part of the world that is starting to wake up to say we're doing something wrong. This is not the way it should be. And so there are a yeah. lot of people who are starting to take an interest in this aspect. Now, it's very small right now compared to the, to the momentum of the industrial uh, complex and, and the way high-tech is going, but those things, the conventional way of life now, is, is really pushing this planet to the limit, and the planet is reacting to it, and people are, are starting to realize and pay attention to, to what's going on. So it is leading to a rediscovery of the Tao, which basically means a rediscovery of nature. So a good example is simply being using an herbal medicine that you get from a, a leaf or a bark, uh, rather than something like a vaccine or, or antidepressant or whatever else created in a laboratory, which is not natural at all and doesn't use natural uh, elements. So, I mean, this is, I mean, I see it mostly in health. So many people are just sick and tired of going to the doctor because the doctor only makes it worse. Cancer is a good example. The, the conventional therapy doesn't work. And yes, it's a—it's a, it's a $100 billion business, you can imagine. $100 billion, just cancer. And so it's become an industry. But uh, at the same time, so many people have been harmed by it that there's a many, many very interesting discoveries happening now about natural cures for cancer and they're out there and they're not promoted by doctors but they're there and they're being developed more and more as a direct result of the way the world is going in the opposite direction so there's a a rebalancing process going on now
0: And and do you think there is a link between Taoism and Druidism?
1: I don't think there's a direct historical link but uh it's an example of how our society or how the human species used to be quite close to nature. Druidism being one example and shamanism that goes with it. And there was a lot of interest in how uh, planetary and, and star alignments uh, and how the sun struck the earth, all the, the way the, for example, Stonehenge was set up. This is just indication that in that part of the world, In England, there was an awareness of the Tao. They didn't call it the Tao. They called it whatever they called it. But it's the same thing in Peru. You can see it. You can see the same things in Africa, uh, in North America. There are many places that have very similar uh, traditions, which were not linked historically. It wasn't that one part of the world went to another part of the world and brought it there. This is the way people used to live. Just like animals live in accord with nature, birds and, and insects and plants, they all have a certain way to exist in nature and to thrive. And humans, you, being part of nature, used to just know what to do normally and naturally. So what's happening is that We are also rediscovering and and recognizing things like druidism and shamanism in Peru and uh, the the Chinese and Tibetan traditions in medicine. Everywhere in the world, human beings used to live very much in accord with nature, and you didn't have to be taught by some emissary from another part of the world. You could just learn all this by observing your surroundings. But that's not done anymore. Now we are interested more in technology, computers, there's more and more distance between human beings and human consciousness and natural forces. And that's why we have become isolated from nature. And the more isolated we become from uh, from nature, the more unnatural conditions prevail, such as all the disease, obesity. Human beings aren't supposed to be 350 pounds, um, but it's because of the way they're not eating normal natural diets and people aren't supposed to be getting cancer or autism. All these things are being actually created by our high-tech industrial approach to life. However, all parts of the world have the same sort of fundamental tradition um, of working with nature, as you mentioned, Druidism, but there's the same sort of thing everywhere in the world. And it's just been lost, uh, but is now being rediscovered.
0: Do you think the answer is moving back into this natural way of of living as a way to prevent, say, the likes of cancer and autism, Daniel?
1: Absolutely. The, what we have to do is use the fundamental principles of nature to live, to eat, to to move our bodies, to, uh, uh, for healing, for medicine, and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't mean you have to go back to wearing bare skins and barefoot and building campfires. Uh, There is very much a place for advanced technology if it's used towards the proper purpose. Now, just to give you an example in medicine, um, pharmaceutical companies make the, use incredibly complex technology to produce these chemical drugs, which are really bad for you. However, that same technology can be applied to a pile of leaves or some bark or some roots to isolate the, the uh the active elements to purify to concentrate and you have you have an even better natural product it's the same with food um and and everything housing clothing uh, technology industry all of that can be used very much to the benefit of of people of humans if the basic principles are still done uh, Still follow the the natural patterns and forces of nature. You can't go. You cannot succeed by going. You can You cannot conquer nature. You cannot change it or conquer it. But you can work in harmony with natural forces, and improve it with with technology, computers, industry, all of these things. So there is definitely a place for that.
0: While I was reading your book, Daniel, I came across a quote in the book, and it said that the hard and the strong are cast down while the soft and the weak rise to the top. How does that tie in with what you're saying?
1: Well, that sort of goes in with the principle of non-interference that we talked about. Um, to interfere with nature, especially in a big way, takes a lot of uh, power and energy and this sort of thing. And they, when they're talking about the meek, uh, I think it's in the Bible too, the meek shall inherit the earth. They're basically talking about those who don't try to interfere with natural forces, but rather than live in, in accord with them. So what that particular quote you just uh, came up with it refers to is what's happening now, for example, um, so called superpowers I mean uh, going in uh, and using high technology to 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 kill more people to destroy more buildings to do this and that to other people in a way that uses brute force basically, and what that ultimately leads to is destruction, including self destruction uh, you can 't push. Other, other countries, other forces, or, nature, or nature's forces too far before it, there's, a, there's a reaction. And it's very destructive. So basically what they're saying is people who simply live quietly, like let's say indigenous tribes in, in South America or Africa that have not become highly industrialized, they're living, they live very simple lives in accord with the natural natural forces, natural elements. And ultimately, they're the ones who will survive because nature is not there to be conquered. We have to learn how to live within those bounds. And the, therefore, the ones who will survive in the end are those who... Not involved in all these uh, forms of interference. I think one of the most obvious ones is warfare. I mean, human beings are the only species that kill each other. Lions don't kill each other, and mice don't kill each other. It's, it's the, the humans have gotten so far away from the natural pattern that rather than learning to to work in 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 uh, cooperation with other people for the mutual benefit, the idea is well don't, kill everybody except your own team and take over. But that ultimately leads to self-destruction.
0: How is the Tao of health different to the Western approach or thinking of health?
1: Basically, I would say that it's the same basic attitude of interference. Modern Western medicine sees a disease Looks at the symptoms that are causing discomfort and then comes up with a with a drug, a chemical drug or a technique, surgery or something to to fix that symptom and then a year later or two years later, it comes back again. The most obvious case of that is cancer. People do chemotherapy and all that, and then a year later or two years later, it comes back um, that's because the real root cause is not being treated so Taoist medicine, or let's say traditional indigenous medicine in almost every country—Tibet, India, with its Ayurveda—they, when they see a, a health problem, a disease, a disease, they they look for the the root cause, and the root cause is usually not in the same part of the body as the symptoms. You have a headache, but the problem might be in your liver or it might be in your bowel. So there's an imbalance in the system and the idea is to correct that imbalance and then the disease will go away. It's not the idea that you're just gonna cut it out or burn it out or poison it and then you'll be all right. It doesn't work that way. So the the most fundamental difference between modern Western medicine and traditional medicines of all sorts is um that the traditional approach is to use natural medicines, natural techniques to rebalance an unbalanced human body, uh, which is a very complicated thing. You have to understand how the body works and then how how you can use things like herbs, diet, exercise to bring the body back into a state of balance. that's really the the, the whole Taoist view. On disease of all kinds, mental disease, physical disease, cancer, heart problems, every single disease is seen as a fundamental imbalance in the natural energies in your body, uh, like the, the organs, uh, the brain, the heart, whatever. Something is out of balance the doctor has to find where that imbalance is and then correct it. And then the disease will go away uh, it just automatically because the disease is really only a, a manifestation or a symptom of some underlying imbalance in the body.
0: I was in India a couple of years ago and I trained to be a yoga teacher. And as part of that training, I learned that that all disease starts at the mind. Do you think this is true?
1: Yeah, um, the mind is the final... Uh, the buck stops here when it comes to the mind. When you when you start uh, looking at problems, a person got cancer or, 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 or heart attacks or indigestion, or whatever it is. Uh, first of all, you trace it back to its root cause, which might be something in the body, but usually it goes back to the energy system. It's the 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 way the fu- the function of the of the internal organs are not they're not working together properly. Uh, so then you say, well, why is that? And then you, if you go. The physical is taken back to the energetic level, and then what controls your energy? Well, then, in according to the Taoist uh, uh, viewpoint, finally it goes back to consciousness. Uh, what kind of attitude you're having towards life? Uh, emotional problems. Um, Mental trauma of whatever sort from childhood or even if you want to take it further as they do in India from past life Experiences we carry those with us in our in our in our minds in our spirit and They have an effect on how our energy works and that in turn Determines how the physical body functions. It's always In that order, the physical is a reflection of the energetic, and the energetic is a reflection of the mental-emotional state. Um, So you can fix physical problems, you can fix uh, energy imbalances, but none of it will ultimately work unless you go back and sort of work with your consciousness as well. People who have... uh, Emotional and mental traumas from childhood, which is very common these days because of the way the world is now Um, What we often refer to as issues You can fix yourself to a certain point you can get back into balance but if you are carrying some sort of imbalance in your mind in the way your emotions and, and your thoughts and emotions are functioning that are completely out of balance with nature then the condition will come back so yes it's true it all goes back to the mind for the ultimate healing but you still have to deal with the damage that's been done to the body you have to deal with the imbalance that has been created in the internal organs and how they function and then you do have to ultimately correct the the mental emotional state so they all work together. There, there, there are three different departments: physical, energetic, and and mental. But they are they are absolutely interlinked. So you cannot just work with one. You can't be a. a let's just take an example of a person who's chronically angry, of which there are a lot of people now. now anger is in Chinese medicine as well as in India is related to liver function. You can create yourself. Some really bad liver problems by just being angry all the time. Uh, now, you can fix your liver if you know what you're doing. If you have a good uh, health professional, a naturopathic doctor giving you the right diet and the right medicine, you fix it. But if you don't, if you cont- continue to be plagued with uncontrollable anger, that uh, which is referred to as a fire element in Taoism, that is going to go and burn. Uh, your whole system up again it's going to inflame it's going to cause the problem in the liver to come back after you've fixed it so after you've fixed yourself physically and energetically you still have to deal with any outstanding issues you're carrying mentally and emotionally or they will just create the same state of imbalance again that led to the disease in the first place
0: Daniel how does fasting serve as a way to improve our health then
1: well, fasting is, a, fasting is nature's way of healing. If you look in nature, or just you don't even have to look in nature, if you have a pet dog or cat, when a dog or cat is sick, they just stop eating. They just won't eat. You can feed them their favorite food and they won't go near it. But you will notice perhaps that both cats and dogs, because they are animals and they're still connected with nature, they'll go out in the garden and suddenly you'll see a dog nibbling on a bunch of weeds. Dogs don't eat grass, but they I've seen my dog eat grass before. And then maybe a little while later, they, they throw up. And so they're doing a natural cure. Uh, in traditional societies, uh, indig- indigenous cultures, aboriginal in Australia, or the, the jungle tribes in South America or in Africa, they had uh, houses Outside of the village which were known as sick houses and when someone got sick They were taken out of the village itself and put in this sick house Where they the only thing available was water and a place to sleep and they were kept there until they were better and it was known then traditionally that fasting is the way nature intended the human body to heal itself. And the reason is actually quite obvious, where if you're eating every day, you you use up at least half your available energy on digestion. Digestion takes a a tremendous amount of energy, especially if you're eating cooked food, which has to be broken down properly, and uh, then the body has to rebuild itself. So when you fast, you're, you're liberating all that energy to go and into the immune response and to to heal the body. Just another example is, the enzymes normally used to digest a steak or a sandwich in your stomach have nothing else to do, so they go into your bloodstream and they'll go and they'll they'll digest tumors or uh, anything else, germs, uh, viruses, bacteria, anything that doesn't belong in your body, your digestive enzymes will go and dissolve it and remove it from the body. So fasting is a healing technique, but it's also a way of preserving your health if you have a regular program. Let's say you fast once a year for a week or once a month for two days or once a week even. Um, You give your body a chance. It's, It's similar to rebooting your computer, that your computer starts to malfunction. It's got too much material on it, too much data, whatever. You uh, clean it up and reboot it, and it all works well again. So fasting is a way of rebooting your system by allowing it to rest, basically to go off digestive duty. And the body, again, it knows what to do. All of the key uh, patterns for healing yourself are built into your DNA. All of it is there so that when you get sick, your DNA will kick in the proper response from your immune system. But if you're constantly eating all day long and drinking and and maybe smoking and doing all these other things, these uh, immune functions lose their power because you're diverting too much energy to other activities. So fasting is just the time when you allow your body and your entire system to... Reboot itself and so that can work very very well as a preventive uh, Method of maintaining your health, but it's also a cure Um, There was a guy there in in Europe um, About ten years ago who cured himself of cancer by fasting and developed a whole technique Uh, And he cured something like 40,000 cases of cancer including stage four simply by telling people not to eat, keeping them quiet, giving them pure water and maybe a few herbs, a a very low dosage, and no food. And his fast was for 42 days. And people say, oh, you can't live for 42 days, but you can. You can live for actually 60 days without any food. Um, So fasting is the most efficient and the fastest way to cure yourself. Um, The problem with fasting is it's not very pleasant and very few people are willing to do it, but it works. It works very well. And the reason it's unpleasant is not because you're hungry so much or anything, is that when you stop eating, your body starts dumping. It's, it's, It's the garbage man comes in and all of the toxins carried in your cells and in your fat tissue and in your brain They pour out into your bloodstream to be eliminated, and while they're circulating, waiting to be eliminated, they cause discomfort. You have headaches, you feel tired, you feel moody. These are all just symptoms of detoxification, and everybody is very toxic. And as long as we keep eating uh, and functioning our daily lives, all those things get tucked away in the body, they go into your fat tissue, they go into the joints, as far away as possible from blood circulation, and you just accumulate toxins. And finally, when it gets gets to be too heavy in a particular part of the body, then cancer, for example, will develop. So the only way your body can actually excrete the toxins it carries and we're talking about a lot of stuff there's heavy metals from uh, in the air there's there's chemicals in the water we just keep accumulating it and there's only one way to allow your body to eliminate it and that is to stop putting stuff in you to allow your body to take stuff out and that's what fasting is all about basically fasting is the most efficient an effective way to detoxify your body and to reboot your system.
0: And Daniel, is there a recommended way to do fasting?
1: There are many ways. In fact, I wanted to mention this because something really interesting has come up recently. The most traditional way to fast is to say, okay, I'm going to take 10 days and just stay home and drink water. That's the the great traditional water fast. And then come what may then there are what other forms of fasting such as raw juice which again anything else when you take anything except water it's not really a fast but it has fasting effects so there's raw juice raw vegetable juice fasting you do that for a week or 10 days and there are there's also the time frame uh fasting for 10 days in a row is is very, very effective, but also can be quite unpleasant. You can also make shorter fasts on a regular basis. You do three days a, uh, a month or one day a week. It's another way of doing it. The whole idea is simply to give your body a sufficient amount of rest and uh, freedom from digestive duty to allow your natural healing mechanisms to just come online. Uh, so what they've found now is look, just look at the word. For the first meal of the day breakfast break fast that's no accident that that's the word we use for the first food of the day because you have been in actual fact fasting since your last meal uh, and in the old days before modern times when you could get everything and go to the supermarket and go to restaurants basically people ate before dark, otherwise you can't see what you're eating. You know, you just got a campfire, or you're living in a cave. So everybody finished eating before sunset. Then they would go to sleep early, and when they got up with the sunrise, you couldn't just start eating. You, there were no refrigerators. You can't open a refrigerator and take out a donut or a frozen, a frozen waffle or something, or cook eggs. You had to, when you got up, you had to go to the river to get some water, you have to get, go f- find some fuel to make a fire, boil the water. By the time you were ready to eat anything, it was probably the equivalent of 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. So in effect, you have not been eating for 16, 17 hours. And that's the fast. And it works just as well as doing a 10-day fast once a year or a three-day fast once a month. If you can reduce your, the period of time that you eat food, that you consume food, to, let's say, a seven- or eight-hour period, do all your eating in that seven- and 8 hours, and eat nothing in the other time, the rest of the time, what you're doing, in effect, is making every day both a feast and a fast. You feast and fast within the same 24-hour period, and it works. I think the, the minimum amount of time to get that effect is 16 hours without eating. So you let's say you start, your, you have your first food at 10 in the morning. You get up at 6, you can have your tea and coffee, do some exercise, whatever. You don't eat till 10, and then you have your last bite of food by 6 p.m. So maybe you have dinner at 5 5:30 you eat nothing after 6 you don't eat anything before 10 in the morning you are going 16 hours every day without eating that means your body is not forced to devote energy to digestion for 16 hours every day and what I just talked about earlier that rebooting function of not eat, of fasting goes into effect during that 16 hour period. It's not as deep or effective as a one week or 10 day fast, but it still reboots. This is the the closest way I can describe what happens with fasting. It's like with your computer and everybody's aware of this term. Things are all messed up. I can't find uh, my email. I can't get on to my dysfunction. Okay, reboot the computer clean up the, the desktop, reboot it, and now it works. That's how fasting works in the body, and you can actually make it, uh, do it on a daily basis, simply by having all your food within an eight-hour period, and then the other 16 hours, you don't eat food. You can drink water, you can have a couple of glasses of juice or something, but no solid food. So you're getting a healing uh, effect of fasting every single day, and uh, so, in the whole thing about fasting is it's up to the individual if they can tolerate longer fasts and for much deeper healing. Let's say they got cancer or something serious like that. But as a general health regimen, for example, anti-aging uh, to prevent your body from aging prematurely and keep your energy up. You can simply do that by having a... Uh, a mini fast every day by simply not eating for 16 hours and putting your, maybe not having three meals a day, have just two meals, one around 10 in the morning, one around five in the evening. And that can even work with people who have scheduled jobs and things like that. You can bring your food with you to your office. You can, uh, you can change the schedule a bit depending on how you, your, your normal lifestyle is. As long as you, Keep a 16-hour period of not eating every day. That's going to be a daily fast, and you're going to also have a daily feast.
0: And Daniel, how important is breathing properly for health?
1: Breathing is very important for health. This is uh, First of all, we all know the thing you need least is food. You can go 60 days without food. Uh, the next flip thing is water. You can go about a week without water, but you can't go more than 10 minutes without air, even less. So breathing is really important. And the way, it's just the same with everything else. The way you eat determines whether you're gonna get sick or gonna be healthy, uh, whether you're gonna be obese or whether you're gonna be in good condition. And the same with breathing. Most people don't breathe properly. They breathe in their upper chest, the lower part of the lung, the diaphragm is not engaged. And so the breathing is just a basic survival level of breathing to keep enough oxygen in your system to stay alive but if you learn to breathe correctly and using uh, engaging the diaphragm and the whole the whole chest area it has a completely different effect now the, the thing about breathing in the dawah system is it is viewed as the bridge literally the bridge that links your body and your mind in the west Western medicine, we have two departments for that. You've got a problem with your body, you go to the hospital. But if it's a mind or a mental thing, oh, you've got to go see the psychiatrist or something. But in the Chinese, uh, in the Daoist system, there's, there's the physical and the mental, yes, but there's the energetic level, and that's what breath represents, uh, which works to rebalance both the body and the mind. It is the, breathing is the only uh, function of the autonomic nervous system which is basically the automatic nervous system, such as your heartbeat, uh, all the basic functions, metabolism, go automatically. Breathing normally goes automatically. It's on autopilot, obviously. However, breathing is the one and only vital function of the autonomic nervous system that we can also control volitionally. We can bring our breath under control. We can breathe in a particular pattern. You can't directly control your heartbeat. You can't make your heart go faster or slower. You can't control your blood pressure simply by thinking about it. However, you can use your mind to control your breath and breathe in a certain way. Uh, and what that does is it rebalances all of the other functions. So let's say you do what you call qigong breathing. Qigong, by the way, that term, that form of exercise it simply means energy work. And qi also means breath. So where qigong means energy work, it means breathing technique. Uh, because your breath represents your entire energy system. So let's say you, just for an example, when you get into a imbalanced state of anxiety, anger, or something like that, if you just pay attention, you'll notice that your breathing gets very fast and shallow it's as a result of that emotion, it's a result of that, uh, the anger or the anxiety that's happening. It immediately affects your breath. That, again, affects your, your body. So your blood pressure will go up. Your face will get red. I mean, all of this is very, very easy to observe. So if you change your breathing pattern, slow down your breathing, deepen it, engage the diaphragm, uh you'll suddenly notice that your heart slows down, your blood pressure goes down, you stop sweating, uh, your stomach f- starts functioning again. You Simply by controlling the way you breathe and bringing your breath into a natural, normal, rhythmic pattern, you adjust the dial on all of your other vital organs including digestion. I mean, the, the the easiest way to have indigestion is to have an emotional outburst in the middle of a meal, you know, people having a nice meal and suddenly someone gets really angry. And w- well, the moment that happens, digestion just stops and you've got a stomach full of food that's going to be rotted by the ever-present bacteria because your digestive system just stops. Uh, If you really, if you get really angry at work or something, and you and you start having an argument and shouting and all that, if you were to just sit down for two minutes and change your breathing pattern, you'll suddenly find out you don't even know why you were upset. Uh, So the breathing is considered to be a tool for rebalancing uh, the vital functions uh, of all the other organs: the heart, the liver, the, the stomach, and all that. And also for rebalancing mental and emotional factors. And it works really well. It's just that most people don't have the awareness or the presence of mind to apply that at those moments.
0: If a person, say, is smoking 20 cigarettes a day, Daniel, and they're doing, say, regular exercise or yoga and other practices and eating healthy, what were your thoughts on this?
1: Well, nowhere, nowhere in my, any of my books do I tell people not to smoke. Um, because some people do smoke, and in my view, smoking, regardless of whether it's tobacco or marijuana or whatever, is just a form of self-medication. It's the, the person who's doing the smoking, and especially if they're smoking a lot, is has discovered that that uh, t- fixes something. I don't think there's anybody who really enjoys inhaling the smoke from from burning herbs of various types. Uh, you get used to it, but it's not something that's in itself pleasurable. What's pleasurable is the result, and it's an, it's an herbal medicine. So again, let's look at you, answer this question in terms of the Tao, the way. What are we talking about here? Tobacco. Okay, tobacco grows. Fine. So smoke tobacco. But it's almost impossible to get real tobacco anymore. Uh the cigarettes produced by companies in packages contain upwards of 400 chemicals. I mean, it seems mind-boggling, but I've checked this t- statistic many times. Up to 400 chemicals, about half of them are known carcinogens. They're listed, they're certified by the government as carcinogens, and there they are in the tobacco and no, it's not being controlled or forbidden or prohibited. Even worse chemicals are in the paper. To make What they put in paper for cigarettes is uh, the same stuff they put in uh, the fuse for firecrackers to keep the paper burning. So the cigarette burns down even if you don't smoke it, and then you smoke more and blah, blah, blah. So to simplify and just get down to the answer to your question is my suggestion is if you're a smoker and you find that smoking satisfies you in some way and you get good effects from it and you're not comfortable when you don't have it, then smoke natural tobacco either in a pipe or if you like cigarettes then get natural paper made from rice husks or whatever. And then you're not gonna have, if you're fairly disciplined about it, you're not smoking 200 cigarettes a day, but 10 or 20, you're very unlikely to have any real problems, especially if you keep your diet uh, proper and you do some exercise, uh, which you need to do whether a smoker or not. But if you just follow the whole Tao lifestyle, eating naturally, exercising naturally, breathing naturally, there's no problem with smoking tobacco or marijuana or whatever else, as long as it's not a poison. The problem we're getting is with what we add to it, what what industry adds to it. And, then, and I tell you, um, I used to smoke tobacco, and I finally found it almost impossible to get uh, natural organic tobacco anymore. It's actually prohibited here. In, in Australia, you're not allowed to grow it. And the reason is very simple because it would compete with the industrial stuff and and go into the cut down on their profits. It's the same thing with the pharmaceutical industry. They don't want you to use herbs and, 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 and vitamins t- to treat people for disease because you can't patent those and then the, it affects the industry's profits and all that. It's the same thing with tobacco. So, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. What's a, what a, The problem with smoking is what what we add to the tobacco and what we add to the paper and and basically we make it unnatural. And if you go back to using the natural product, you're unlikely to have any serious problems.
0: Daniel, do you think there is a field of intelligence operating where there's a connection with our personal chi energy and the universal intelligence?
1: Yes, um, absolutely. As I said earlier, we have to start realizing that everything... Everything is interconnected on the energetic level. It looks different. Uh, two people standing in a room, 10 people, they're all individuals. And you can tell very well where the boundaries are. It's the boundary is the physical body. However, if you were to look at everybody, we all also have an energy body. It's a, uh, you, you've heard the term aura. And people, some people who've trained themselves well enough can actually see other people's auras, the color of the energy around their body around their bodies. Now, uh, uh, on the the level of an energy field, there is no separation. Uh, They all interact, they all intersect. And uh, if you go further up on the level of consciousness, there's absolutely no boundaries between anything, uh, because everything is just in a sea of energy or in a sea of awareness. We all exist on that level as well each of us, in addition to being connected to other people and other things in our environment, we're also part of the entire cosmos. Um, Look at it in terms of an ocean. An ocean is this one huge body of water, and that's how the cosmos is, that's how the energy field is, how consciousness is. Uh, But we only look at the physical level. Now, if you want to look... The analogy to an ocean, an ocean, uh, consists of, you know, how many trillion, zillion dr- individual drops of water. And that's what we are. Human beings are the individual drops in the sea of humanity. But all we realize is the drops. We, I'm a separate drop of water. But on a, if you look at yourself as part of the ocean, you are seamlessly Interconnected with the entire ocean, not just with your own personal drop. Uh, that's the physical level. So, yes, everything that happens in the in the in the galaxy, in the solar system, on the planet, uh, extreme weather, for example, will affect our minds, uh, affect our energy, and also our bodies because it's. Totally interlinked on all levels except the physical and the physical we look at we have individual uh, We're each separate units, but we also exist on that energetic level and on the on the emotional level mental spiritual and on that level everything is Inextricably connected and you cannot break your connection That's you are going to be influenced For example, we know about this thing called mob mentality. Um, It's very strange, but a a group of people, protesters at a Donald Trump uh, rally, for example, they start to go there and at first everything's fine, but then a few people get angry and then a few more, and then some other people react and you get to a critical mass of emotion, which everybody is feeling and suddenly there's a riot. There's really no reason for it. There are no issues. No one has has attacked anyone. It's just a mood takes over. And that's just an energetic effect. And it shows that people are totally connected on levels which they can't see with their eyes or feel with their hands. But on a a functional level of energy, emotion, mind, Uh, a group of 200 people. If just 101 of them get on a certain jag of anger or or fear or anxiety, the whole group will be affected. And this is the way in which we are interconnected. And it's the same with... Forces. Uh, Astrology, for example, when you were born, the planets were all, this is not superstition, the planets were all aligned in a certain way and there was a certain kind of energy pattern coming onto the earth at the moment you were born. And that sort of imprints something on you, on the way your energy works for the rest of your life. And so people who are good at this, like in India or in China or Tibet, astrology is not a superstition, it's a science and is telling the, the science is to see how certain cosmic patterns from stars, planets, uh, the sun, the moon, every year they they go around and around and they, at certain times they have certain effects certain patterns which react with every individual differently depending on their own energy system. So you have, this is just an example of how Forces that you can't see but you can be aware of will influence your behavior and you can predict too you can it's weather um like i said cosmic factors astrology things happening in the sky on the earth earthquakes i mean animals for example when there's an earthquake coming start freaking out but we don't even notice it because we're, we're too distracted but uh, it, it 10 minutes or 15 minutes before an earthquake hits the animals already know because they're feeling that they're part of the they're linked to the energy of the planet and they're much closer to nature so if we were able to become more aware of our links you could you could actually find out why you're feeling weird today simply by looking at your environment maybe there's a strange weather pattern happening or there's a there's a comet going across the sky or the, the moon and Mars and Venus are lined up in a certain way. That creates a very real input on the planet, which affects everyone. But not everyone is consciously aware of it.
0: Just in regard to sex, then, what would you regard as good sex?
1: I would regard good sex to be healthy sex. Um, and I'm not talking about sexually transmitted diseases and all that. That goes without saying I'm talking about, in the Taoist system, sex is regarded as sort of like breathing and diet and everything else. It's it's a way of balancing your system for health, happiness, longevity. Um, So learning the basic differences between the male and the female and energies, male and the female body, and approaching sex as not as a, a toy uh, or a game, but as a very profound and powerful way of uh, addressing the issues of life. Uh, if you have good sex, then sex energy is the most single most powerful energy we have in our system. There's many kinds of energy we have. We have heat, your body temperature, and you have uh, the energy of your breath and the energy of your heart, but the sexual energy is the most powerful because nature designed it to ensure the propagation of the species. They want to make very sure that everybody's going to do it. Um, But it's like with eating. If you have a diet of of, of french fries and hamburgers and uh, pancakes and, and cookies and all kinds of processed foods, chips and all that, you're gonna have a very different result from your diet than if you were drinking fresh juices and fresh fruit and organic vegetables and, and grass-fed beef and all, all that. It's the same thing, it's eating, but what you eat can be very different in its effects depending on whether it's natural or not. Um, Sex is the same way. there are certain basic patterns between the male and the female, and the nature of the male being more uh, aggressive and the, the the female being more receptive and there's very obvious uh, and some not so obvious differences in the physical aspects of, of of men and women It's not just in the genitals it's in the whole it, it, the emotion and mental way so it's the idea is and the Taoist system is to, to learn about it. We don't have sex education anymore. This is another thing about modern society. Because of religion, especially Western religions, this whole morality thing is you're not allowed to teach children about sex. So they're going to do it the wrong way right from the beginning. And so this was not true in China or India. Uh, sex education started at puberty. And usually the father taught the son and the mother taught the daughter. And they it was they taught them not just about sex and not how to get pregnant or something like that, but they actually talked about techniques and ways of approaching it because it was a very important part of life and there was no reason not to talk about it. So this is a big problem we have today. Sex is used in advertisements. Uh, sex is... Uh, shown on TV and then movies uh, it's absolutely incredible in the Western world. I mean, in, in films now that I've noticed, you can have complete frontal nudity. And um, sex is, is considered, for instance, is looked at as an immoral thing. Now this in, in the, in the dollar system, there is no morality involved with this. It's just, it's just a matter of health. Good health or bad health, good habits or bad habits. But, um, in the, in, if you just take a look at movies and television now, you can see on screen the most, the most horrible killing, murders, the brains blowing out all over the screen, uh, disemboweling people, and yet you can't show sexual intercourse. What is that saying? It's saying it's all right for children to see people murdering each other and and torturing each other and battering each other to death, but they can't see sex. And yet, isn't killing the the first commandment, "Thou shalt not kill"? Um, so this is this this attitude of of morality or whatever you want to call it, religion has come into it, has made it a taboo subject. So there's a lot of problems with sex in in the modern Western world and in the East, too, because the whole world is going in the same direction. But in traditional societies, like I said, sex was something so basic that children, when they approached puberty, were taught about it and how to approach it in a a healthy, balanced way. Uh, there are, it goes deeper of course if you remember from that book it's men for instance have to be a lot more careful because ejaculation you lose you you lose your lose your semen and the body will immediately replace it and the older you get the more difficult it is and then pretty soon your body is borrowing cerebral spinal fluid from the spine to replace the semen and it's it gets you can really wear yourself out. But if you learn the the Taoist way, then a man can be sexually active and healthy into his eighties. And it's, there are certain uh, rules and, and techniques for women too. They're very different than the ones from men. And similarly to diet, to medicine, exercise and to breathing, there is the Tao of sex, the way, it's, that's all it is, and what is the way well the way is the way of nature observe nature and um you've got your you've got your answer there so it, it, the sex is not a big deal it's considered as basic as diet there even Confucius who was very much into society and all that. He wasn't a hermit or anything. Everyone knows about Confucius. He, one of his most famous statements is food and sex are nature's most natural appetites. That's, that's what he said. And so you don't have to make any more big a deal out of having sex uh, than you, or than for having dinner. It's just part of nature. Find the right way to do it and make it a healthy activity rather than one that destroys you. Um, so this was the attitude of the traditional societies in Asia and not just China, but India, too. It was actually quite beautiful. They They, they made a whole technique out of it. There are entire books written about it. There's a Kama Sutra. All of this is meant to enhance the the happiness and the health of the participants. There's there's nothing about, like in the West, in in Islam and Christianity and and Judaism, where sex is is such a highly charged issue that no one ever can even talk about it. Uh, So no one really learns the Tao of sex in the modern Western world. Um, But all of the information there that was traditionally used to teach about it is still there. Um, I quote a lot of those books. In China probably took this to the furthest point of development of all the countries. Uh, The thing about males controlling their ejaculation and uh, seeing the female energy as more powerful than the male. All all of these principles, they're all there in the old books uh, and it can be relearned.
0: Daniel, oftentimes people can experience guilt and shame in regards to sex. Why do you think that is?
1: That is a direct result of monotheistic religion. Specifically the three great monotheistic religions of the of the Western world, which are now pushed all over, throughout the rest of the world, Christian Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they have made they have turned sex into a tool for controlling women. For example, uh, the, in marriage, a man owned the woman basically and could have many wives, but the woman couldn't do couldn't do anything. Uh, it became something that was separate from from nature. It became a social tool for controlling families, things like that. And then the guilt and the shame. Was attached to the sexual act by society, specifically by religion. Religion and it turned into a, a, it caused great anxiety for people, in particular women, um, because it was no longer seen as, as something as natural as going to the toilet or sitting down to have a meal. It was something that was really, really isolated. Uh, and, and, and had moral values attached to it and guilt and shame were the control mechanisms if you didn't want women to be uh, to be sexually free or to be promiscuous you make a rule so that if they do it they either feel shame or guilt guilt is what you in the West even if no one sees you doing it, you still feel guilty. God is going to punish me in the East they had a different one they had shame if you you can get away if you can get away without without being seen you're okay and people didn't feel very guilty about doing these things but if you got caught if someone saw you then you have shame from as a social control mechanism so guilt and shame were ways of of regulating people's sexual lives and basically, cutting it way down so you can only have sex with a certain person at a certain time, under certain conditions, and if you did it any other way, you're going to feel guilty or you're going to feel shame. And this causes huge problems. It causes huge problems because, as I said, sexual energy is the most powerful in in men and women. In nature altogether, sex is the most powerful driving force. So if you don't allow it to manifest naturally according to the Tao, the natural Tao, the way sex was created and for what purpose, if you start bottling it up, putting a cork on it, making it only happen in certain ways that are not really very satisfying, it's going to cause all kinds of havoc with a person's entire system. Not only the guilt and shame, but if, if sexual energy is not properly used and satisfied, it can cause all kinds of Emotional and mental problems, it can cause physical problems. Um, so, like I said, guilt and shame, these have nothing to do with the sex itself. It has nothing to do with nature itself. This is a social control mechanism basically um, created by by religions uh, as a way of controlling people.
0: Do you think there are any other blockages which prevent people from expanding their sexual experience?
1: Um, Well, yes. Um, There are all kinds of factors now. Uh, There's health factors. If you're not very healthy, especially a man, you're not going to be impaired sexually. But there's other stuff. There's... um, Estrogen mimickers out there in in our environment. Plastic bottles. This will give you one example. There is an element in a plastic bottle, and who doesn't use plastic bottles for water these days? It's everywhere. Food wrap. Uh, anything with plastic. The the plastic cover on on the on your starched shirt from the laundry. They the effect of these things. And there are other things too. They're in in pesticides, they're in food additives, um, all kinds of things. These chemicals mimic estrogen. So for a man, uh, it's going to impact his his sexual potency. Uh, You will lose muscle mass. Men grow breasts. This thing you can see all over the place. Uh, and that's going to really affect a person's sexual function. Same with women. There's a big problem with fertility now. That's a sexual function. You can't have a, you can't get pregnant. Uh, no sexual desire, low libido, uh, totally abnormal, uh, phenomena created by lifestyle, modern lifestyle. Um, I mentioned the plastics, uh, food additives, but how about, Cell phones, how about the phone relay tower on the top of your building? How about the the television that you have on eight hours a day? Your hand phone, which creates microwave radiation. All of these things also impact sex, sexual potency, sexual hormones, um, and they throw everything out of balance to the point where some people get totally unable to, to perform the sexual act, either it's uncomfortable or they just don't have the, they don't, don't have the energy and, and the hormones to do it. And this is very upsetting to people because then they get very frustrated and they don't know what to do about it. So it has to do with that social control mechanism, guilt and shame and all that is one thing, but we now really have a very serious problem with uh, pharmaceutical drugs, food additives, uh, electromagnetic fields from phones and, and televisions and things like that all of these factors uh, have a very very strong effect on people's uh, hormones and, and energy balance and that directly impacts sexual activity.
0: How do you think the DAO of sexual health could be used to overcome sexual insecurities and improve relationships?
1: Well very much so. Um, First of all, I'd say that the, the the Tao, the Taoist system, is is a very practical way. There's the word again, way. It's a very practical, natural way of making, of conducting your life, of making life better. So, the most obvious level where something like the Tao of sex would come in was simply to. To teach people techniques, actual physical techniques of engaging in sex. Then, when you learn more about energetics and you see how the uh, how sexual energy works, you learn something about it, and 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 not only from books but from your own direct experience. You, if, if you engage in sex with a more mindful attitude to see. How your partner not how you feel but how your partner feels while you're doing it and all this um, of course it improves the experience for both parties I think uh, it's very important for men to understand how women function sexually and for women to understand how men function sexually uh, not just on the physical level but in terms of desire and uh, libido these are all very it's like learning to drive a car, or ride a bicycle, or play tennis. You can't just get out there and, and, and start doing it. You have to learn about it. And like I said before, because of, sex is so linked with guilt and shame, it's become such a taboo that no one teaches young people about it. People young people, teenagers learn about sex by playing around with their, with their peers. And so you've got teenage pregnancy and you've got sexually transmitted diseases and you've got sexual violence, all because people don't know what they're doing. So the, to answer your question, how can the Tao of sex help? The doll of sex could be a sexual education manual because there's absolutely no religion in it. It doesn't say any one particular religion is better than the other, or God is better, my God is better than your God. It's none of that, no morality. It's a simple manual. It's, it's It's a user's manual for sex, basically. All of those books that I quote in the Tao of Sex section of my book um, and then there's a lot of that similar stuff in India and Tibet. Those are, that's just a, a primer, a textbook for how to properly approach sex. It's just as important as learning how to eat properly. And really the problem these days, especially in the Western world, is that there is no education. You're not allowed to even talk about it in school. And, you know, very, very few families, the parents very rarely sit down with the, with the children when they get to be 14 years old and say, okay, here, here is, other than saying, don't have sex, you know, don't stay out late, don't let the guy do this or that, instead of just teaching them how it works, uh, giving them a user's manual. And so we have all of that already written down in the ancient texts, which used to be, uh, the basis of sexual education in the, in the orient uh so like i said there's a great treasure trove of information there but the problem is until until society deals with this whole guilt and shame thing and just looks at sex as the natural the most natural function in life even more natural than eating because everybody has that drive uh until we look at it that way it, there are going to be big problems and uh, education, teaching children, when they reach that, when their hormones, sexual hormones start flowing and they start getting these energies and these impulses, that is the time to teach them what this is all about. It's, it's no different from toilet training. You've got to toilet train children, are they're gonna be crapping in their pants when they're 14. Uh, it's the same with sex, unless you don't teach people, teach young men and young women what it's all about, by the time they're 20 or 25 years old, they've already gotten in trouble. The girl's gotten pregnant or or there's been some fight or someone has killed someone over sexual jealousy or the sexually transmitted diseases. All of these things happen when they're quite young because that's when the sexual impulse is the strongest. So it's very important. It's a very important issue.
0: You may you may not know this in sport. It's recommended not to have sex a few days before a big event or a game. What were your thoughts on this?
1: Absolutely true. Um, for men mainly, not for women. The uh, the loss of semen is a tremendous loss of energy for a male, and it's this is all very scientific. The body automatically the moment a man emits his semen, ejaculates basically, the body instantly immediately, within seconds starts reproducing another load, it's like reloading a gun you know, you've got a one you got a, a, a shotgun with one round in it, you shoot and then you put another round in it and you just keep going It's the body is designed the male body is designed to immediately replace semen the moment it's lost so that is a big it takes a lot of basic vital energy to do that. It could take 24 to 48 hours to, to fully replenish, to top off. And in that time, it doesn't matter if you you've got to run in the race in the Olympics tomorrow morning, you had sex tonight as a man, your body's gonna just go into overdrive to replace the semen and it's still gonna be doing that while you're running the race. That's how powerful a factor it is. And like I said, the body is designed to, the male body, to immediately replace semen the moment it is lost. And it borrows uh, various nutrients from your cerebral spinal fluid and from your kidneys and your adrenal glands. And when that drainage is going on, you just can't perform at your best. Uh, there was a, there was a jazz, Musician named Miles Davis. I think everybody knows that name. And he was interviewed by Esquire magazine. And the subject of Muhammad Ali came up. And sex was in there. And basically, what he's, the interviewer said, well, What are you saying is you, you would fight Muhammad Ali? He, Miles Davis is, he, is being talked to if. If he had sex first, and he said, yes, if he had sex the night before, I would fight him right in the ring. And of course, Muhammad Ali and all boxers are taken away into training camps for months before a big fight. They're not allowed to even look at women. Um, And it was commonly known in traditional societies about that. Balzac, the writer, the French novelist, he used to say that uh, if he had sex at night, he lost a whole chapter the next day. So uh, and it's especially true with not only physical energy but creative energy uh, when you require a lot of creativity and uh, any kind of power a man should should refrain from sex. But really what we're saying is refrain from ejaculation. Now if you take it a step further and use the Taoist system well an athlete could have sex three times the night before the event, as long as he doesn't ejaculate. And in fact, he will become even stronger as a result of that because he will have stimulated his sexual energy and stimulated hormone production, but not lost it. And so that will go into, into his reserve tank for the, for, the, for the athletic event the next day. But this is definitely uh, definitely true, and it's well-known, especially in boxing and in the sort of uh, bicycle racing, anything that requires a lot of physical exertion, they all know about that. Do you think,
0: Daniel, that the Tao of sexual health could be used to relieve or even prevent testicular or ovarian cancer?
1: It could be helpful to a certain extent, but when we're talking about cancer itself, that's a tumor growing in your body. And this is a, a result of a toxic situation in the ovaries or the testicles, uh, which has to be addressed. So you the, the main thing, if it's ovarian or testicular cancer, the primary approach would be whatever you do for any kind of cancer. So fasting, uh, raw juices, uh, herbal medicine, Eliminating sugar. All cancer thrives on sugar, by the way. Um, so these things, these, thing, these things have to be taken into consideration, too. Now, the, the Tao of sex would be helpful in the sense that maybe it would advise the man not to be quite so active, not to use up all that energy from that part of his body, which is trying to heal and uh, the same applies to women as well. So, but as a primary approach to that problem, no, the the Tao of sex would not be a, a, a cure. What would be a cure would be a cancer cure. Um, with the, the sexual activity in that part of the body could be regulated, but there wouldn't be a, a cure for that situation. That would be looked upon as a as a form of cancer and you would have to apply diet, nutrition and fasting.
0: Are there any foods or techniques which could help people who have a low libido then, Daniel?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, There are, uh, in my book, The Tao of Health, Sex and Longevity, in the the sex section, um, I don't have the book at hand right here, but there is a formula. Uh, there's a chapter where I talk about sexual uh, tonics and uh, sexual tools and, and, and techniques and all that. Uh, there's a formula for an herbal concoction called spring wine. Spring as in springtime. Um, consists of about 18 very potent herbs, some of them being quite exotic. Um Which are left for six months in, in some brandy or vodka or rum or something to extract all the, all the herbal essence from it. That is a formula, very old formula to, to boost sexual energy in men and women. So, yes, you can, low libido is usually caused by some artificial Environmental factor, uh, especially the estrogens, the uh, the pseudo estrogens from plastics and chemicals and things like that, they will they will suppress. They will suppress the normal secretion of of sexual hormones in the body, and therefore, with no sexual hormones like testosterone, for example, you're not going to have any sexual desire. Uh, obviously, for in a man, if he's using a lot of plastic water bottles and uh, other, other items that, that have these pseudoestrogens in them, it's gonna suppress the testosterone. So there'll be low libido. So the, in this sort of a sexual tonic, which the, the best form of it is in, an, in, in uh, spirits, alcohol, because it extracts all of the uh, active elements. They will go into the body and stimulate the glands to secrete natural hormones. And when your natural hormone secretion is, is up to par again and in proper balance, then the sexual desire, the libido will return, as will the potency and, 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 and the ability to, to perform. It's the same with women. Women are, are experiencing a lot of low libido now. And a lot of it has, has to do with su- their uh, secretion of, uh, of hormones in their glands is being suppressed by chemical factors mostly. And if you don't have the hormones, you don't have the signals that, that, that stimulate sexual desire and, and you feel frustrated by it because it's something you want to do, but you just don't feel the, the, you don't feel the motivation or the impulse to do it. And it's, it can be fixed. Very, actually quite simply, by using herbs, nutrients and trying to cut down on your exposure to, basically, to chemicals.
0: And do you think you have to be in a committed relationship to receive and give all the benefits from the dough sexual practices?
1: It's helpful, um, though it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a marriage or anything like that. But yeah, it's very important that if you're going to engage in Taoist style of sex, that your partner at least knows what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, they know that the basic idea behind it, for instance, a man who's practicing or trying to get to middle age, or getting older, he wants to start, he wants to continue having a lot of sex, but he doesn't want to burn himself out. So he starts practicing with the withholding ejaculation and, and therefore the sexual encounters last a lot longer, it's very important that his partner understands what he's doing. Uh, and sometimes a woman will feel, if a man doesn't ejaculate, she feels that she didn't do it right or that she's somehow missing something. So it's important that both parties in a relationship and uh, understand what they're trying to do. And there's that old term, practice makes perfect. It's much easier to develop these techniques um, uh, by practicing with the same partner frequently because you start to develop a, a mutual rhythm and both parties know what they're doing. But it's not. this is not a moral thing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having many different partners and especially if a, a man or woman has already learned the, the Tao of sex and is having very healthy and happy sexual life in general, then that can be applied to multiple partners. But certainly when you're first starting to develop this, uh, your sexual activity according to the Tao and a more natural rhythm to things, it's very helpful to to have a steady partner because both, both of them, both the man and the woman, uh, both sides of the relationship will develop without interruption. It's always difficult at first when you have a new partner. They have to get acquainted and you have to understand that person's particular preferences and all that. But it's it's much easier when you have a a good, strong, happy relationship with one person, which does not mean you can't have other relationships. Uh, But your main partner is the same person when you, who who you normally practice with. It's very beneficial.
0: Do you think there's any relationship or even link between pedophilia and the church's view on sex?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. Because sex, (laughs) the, the problem with pedophilia and all kinds of sort of strange sexual phenomena is usually with the male women Aren't quite that way. Uh, they don't have the same. So a man has this need to, to, to have sex when he's young, and it peaks at, at the age of 18. For a male, the, the top, the peak of sexual uh, hormones and sexual desire and all is around 18, from 18 to 25 is peak. That's when, the, when the, you're young. And so there should be a sexual outlet, there should be a normal, healthy sexual outlet. And in traditional Asian societies, that was met by professional sex. The, that was a whole, that was a profession, prostitution or whatever you want to call it, the sing-song girls, the wine houses, this is part of society. It was there specifically to, to serve as an, a healthy, normal, natural outlet for the male sexual impulse. But in, in Western Islamic societies, obviously, in Catholic societies, in, in, in Jewish societies, in Christian societies, you have this taboo against sex, and, and it's considered a sin. And, and so basically, young men, when they start to have, to, to feel the sexual impulse, and it can be overpowering, there's no normal outlet. For it, short of getting married, and and that's you don't necessarily want to do when you're 18. So, uh, there's other avenues develop. Um, there's yeah, there's pedophilia, and there's there's masturbation, and there's all kinds of other things. It gets rerooted, and it becomes more and more perverse, more and more, more and more separated. From what nature intended uh, and so then it becomes habitual and it's all based on on not allowing sexual energy to manifest in, in the normal natural way, which basically is a man and a woman uh, engaging in sex to their mutual satisfaction instead because you're not allowed to do to have sex you're not there are no professional sex workers available, or places you can go like that, all that energy gets bottled up, and then eventually it pops out in in some very strange way. And I think, I don't think, yeah, pedophilia uh, doesn't exist in traditional societies, and especially in tribal and village society, this is not necessary, because there's plenty of normal sex. And in Asian societies, even today, you go to Thailand or India or any of those countries, there's always a part of town where the so-called red light district, where there's professional sex available. And young men, basically, uh, can avail themselves. They're not married. They don't have a girlfriend. uh, So they can they can satisfy that urge before it gets out of hand and drives them to do something that's not normal or not natural. I
0: know you have a a new book out at the moment as well, Daniel. Can you tell me a little bit about this?
1: It's called The Tao of Detox. That is basically a book that I wrote that's addressing the primary health problem in the world today, which is toxicity. It's from chemicals, it's from uh, electromagnetic fields, it's from radiation, uh, additives to food, things like that. But the toxicity is the number one problem and it's, it's the main cause of cancer, by the way. So I wrote the book showing how a person can detoxify themselves on many levels At the same time, you can have annual programs where you're doing fasting and colonic irrigation. You can have monthly programs. You can have one day a week on fruit. Uh, there's a, having the proper pure water is a good example of a, a good, a glass of water that's good, that's properly, the proper pH balance and mineral content will be a healing element whereas water with chlorine and and fluoride in it is going to make you more toxic. The same with diet, the same with breathing, the same with with all kinds of things, what kind of medicine you take. Uh, So this book was written as a sort of a handbook for people to show how they can detoxify themselves on a daily basis through things they have to do anyway like breathe and eat, uh, uh, drink water. So it, it, the idea is to of that book is to increase the awareness of the problem of toxicity and then to show people how they can detoxify themselves uh, with the most basic things that they do anyway every day. Eat food, drink water, breathe air, move your body in a certain way. Um, you can have an ongoing process of detoxification to counteract the constant ongoing process of toxicity that we have today. This was not the case before. We absorb more toxins today on a daily basis, and this is a fact. We absorb more toxins into our bodies every day today Than people used to get into their bodies in in a whole year. Before, even more than a year, there is really a toxic assault on the human body today, everywhere in the world, and there's no drug that can fix it. You can't take a medicine to detoxify yourself. You know, all you do is get more toxic with most of the medicine that's available today. So, sooner or later, the toxicity is gonna to re- reach critical mass in your liver or your lungs or your blood or your brain, and then you're gonna get a tumor growing there. That's all that cancer is. It's the last terminal stage of tissue toxicity. So you don't want it to get to that point because then it's really hard to cure. So the idea is, you start learning about these things and you get a really good water purifier, you learn about uh, eating organic food, you learn a bit about herbal medicine, Uh, you do pick up some breathing techniques, all this kind of thing, so that you are automatically detoxifying your body on a daily basis to counteract the daily toxicity and you're doing all this without interfering in your daily life. Uh, you, you can still go to work. You can still uh, do your normal activity. But what you're doing is you're eating, drinking water, breathing, and you're taking certain supplements in a certain way that constantly detoxifies you, keeps you, keeps you ahead of the game. Uh, that was the idea of that book.
0: If anybody wants to find out more about your work or even buy some of your books, how could they do it?
1: I think the best way is just to go onto my website, which is danreid.org. Dan Reed is, is D-A-N-R-E-I-D dot Now and on my website, I have everything I do. There's uh, <clears throat> all of my books, my major health books are listed there with direct links for buying them you can actually place the order right off my website it either takes you to my publisher or to amazon.com and then we have my wife and I have some a program we do which is basically a detox program intensive 10-day program involves fasting uh, colonic irrigation and certain supplements so there's, uh, I have a section on that on my website, and when we do programs, we announce them, the dates and the and the places uh, on the website. And then I have some other things. I have some articles I've written, and I have a section on there called health alerts, which I take from other sources, but I find to be relevant to people's situation today. So everything that I do uh, in in my professional life. Uh, In health is available there on my website.
0: Thanks so much for your time.
1: Okay, thanks a lot. Cheers, Daniel. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Ah, Thanks for listening to another inspiring and thought provoking show of the Health Zone. I'm Mihalo Just to remind you, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or you can join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and Pinterest Interests under The Health Zone. To gain further invaluable resources on health and well-being, go to our website www.thehealthzoneshow.com. When you're on there, Join the Health Zone and you'll receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Wellbeing. Finally, I would love to hear any feedback you may have on the show and even if there are any particular guests or topics which you're interested in, please email me on tune in at Until next time, this is me Hall, thanks for listening, and I wish you a very healthy, happy, and authentic week.